Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Listening to Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It leaks out every now and then. It, it sure up. does. And that's because it's modeled after our moms, which is very fitting for this week's episode. By the way, I'm Kenyon. Who cares? <laughs> uh, I'm Lucy. Who cares? I'm Amanda. I'm, I'm all right with it. <laughs> but I've this, come to terms with it. <laughs> I'm just so jazzed about this week's topic that I just want to get right. It's so good. Let's it. do we this. We should have had our moms in for it. Well, we should. How? How on earth would we have coordinated? Yeah, my that? mom doesn't have no. an Uber phone. No. I couldn't even begin to figure out how to get her podcasting. My sister could have helped my mom figure it out. Yeah, but alas, here we are. Yeah. What's here the topic. The topic is brought to you by our very special fan picker, Olivia Windorf. Mm, you are the Windorf beneath our wings. You are. <laughs> In honor of her amazing mom, Ellen, Olivia has selected the topic of mom crimes. Not regular mom crimes, cool mom cool crimes. Man. <laughs> one, t- one time, Amanda was dating this man. He didn't last long. He was he was brief. I'm gonna see if You're I can not figure out who it, it is from this story. Here <laughs> you we know go. this story. You were there. And she was talking on the phone with him, was it? And what did he say? Something about he said something and, and you relate it to me. And I thought you were talking about our friend Blortney, who is a mom. Oh and I was <laughs> and I, such a mom. And I was, my reaction was, oh, such a mom. So you were cute. like, it's the man I'm dating? I think it's <laughs> her current partner. It's no, not. no, no. This was, oh. this was prehistoric Bill. Oh, yeah. okay. Pre-Bill. Pre-Bill. I remember who you're talking about now. We won't bring P-B. him up. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, but he said P-B. something so Midwestern It was mom-ish. very mom-ish. <laughs> it was Kenyon was mom. not paying attention. She just goes, oh, she's such a mom. <laughs> and Amanda was like, like yes. who do you think I'm <laughs> That man I'm having about. sex with currently was totally such a mom. <laughs> Turned out to be a shitty mom and a real dick, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, moms yeah. are people, too. They make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. As so, I'm sure we'll get to. <laughs> so, anyway, such a mom. Um, moms love wine. At yeah. least ours do. So, yeah. let's get right to the wine crime pairing for mom crimes. First, I just want to make something very clear. I am not drinking today because I was drunk the last two and a half days in a row. Wait, you drank yesterday too after your big hangover? Yeah. Why? Sometimes a little hair of the dog helps. I just took a shot. I make mistakes frequently (laughs) and this was one of them. I'm actually like shockingly okay today, but I know that if I have wine Mm-hmm. Right now, I'll be barfing halfway through this episode. Yeah. So I'm drinking chai, which is such a mom move. <laughs> it is. That mug is such a mom. My uh, <laughs> mom-in-law got me this mug. <laughs> Nance. Thanks, Nance. 
So Nance and Bab, Bab and Nance, my sister's in-laws. My God. All my in-laws, Bab and and Nance. Your in-laws are actually just your sister's (laughs) in-laws. Yeah. They they belong to me too. (laughs) Okay. But Olivia paired today's episode on our behalf with Mommy's Time Out Pinot Grigio. Yeah. (laughs) It is available at Total Wine, so you should be able to find it at a store near you. And this is an Italian blend of classic Pinot Grigio and Garganega, which is a... White Italian, <laughs> which is a white Italian wine grape that's widely grown in the one. Veneto region of Northeast Italy or Veneto. I don't know. Veneto, Veneto, Veneto. potato, potato. <laughs> Particularly in the provinces of Verona and Vicenza. It is Italy's sixth most Vicenza. widely planted. It's Chinza. It's Italy's sixth most widely planted white grape and is commonly seen on its own or blended in Italian wines. Lucy's the one on a time constraint, so I'm going to keep going while she continues. I know. I'm glad. This delicate and fruity wine is a sure pick-me-up for anyone who's had a long, busy day, any of the moms in your life. The bouquet has notes of pear, citrus, and almonds, and the first impression upon tasting it is crisp and refreshing, with the garganega adding body to the mid-palate <laughs> and length of the finish. That's what she said. Oh. Lucy, you want to crack length her open? to so the I finish. Don't, so yeah. I don't garga-gaga. <laughs> Here we go. Are you mm-hmm. ready? I saved mm-hmm. my hand lotion till after this. Get that grip. Get a real mom grip. Oh, yeah. Oh! Deafening crack. Maternal crack. Nice. Deep crack. crack. I forgot a glass, so. Get it. Actually, how is your crack? Lucy hurt her crack. Okay, I wasn't going to say anything, but I forgot my U-shaped airplane (laughs) pillow in the other room. So if you see me shifting a lot, that's why. She (laughs) bumped her tailbone, and it is Mm -hmm. devastatingly Mm -hmm. bruised. Mm -hmm. I... The bruise is just is just a black. It looks like a pool of Pinot Noir in your butt crack. <laughs> but like we right woke at up the very to a very zoomed in photo of Lucy's ass. Not that and zoomed just, in. Just the crack, and just at the right at the very Full top is just moon. a really dark <laughs> but like, stain. Like, it's not even like yeah, like the the outline is just very sharp. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody, it's like a chocolate, a Hershey's kiss melted in my poop. butt crack. It's like <laughs> yeah. poop. Yeah. Yep. Oh my God. Okay. Moving on. All but right. anyway, yeah. I, well, I'm, cheers. I'm fine. Cheers to nice cracks and yep. painful cracks. <laughs> but also PSA, be really careful wearing socks for the first time this season, walking down your carpeted stairs mm. or running down your carpeted stairs because you're Morningstar Buffalo chicken nugs are burning because Yum. that is exactly what happened to me. <laughs> I smelled it. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm still wearing my socks. <laughs> There's no time. There's no time. <laughs> I fell on my ass. <laughs> and it hurt enough that I cried in pain as a grown adult. So if that <laughs> yeah. just tells you anything. Yeah. Tells okay, me a lot. So, all right. I covered mommy issues in our daddy crimes episode, and I also covered breastfeedings in our dairy crimes episode, so I (laughs) really know where to go with mom crimes. Mm -hmm. Um, So here's just a random smattering of interesting, like, mom things. So I first started by Googling mom, Mm -hmm. 
And the first thing that popped up was this fucking article from the New York Post that was like relatively recent. I hate the New York Post. Yep. Well, it's this like wasn't the only source. This was the most salacious okay. quotes. So this is a, this is a thing, I promise. Contact tracing is critical to learning more about how the deadly coronavirus spreads, but a group of Utah parents say it's a nuisance. That they, was what came up when you Googled mom. Oh, there's so much more. They're encouraging families to stop testing their children in an effort to keep schools open. Oh, cool. Oh, for fuck's sake. The movement to reduce testing among school children began on Facebook. Where else? Of course it did. The hot, the breeding ground of all the worst things in the world is mm-hmm. Facebook. Right. Including these video episodes. Yeah. So it began on not- Facebook. <laughs> no, but they were They're the breeding Patreon. ground. Oh, they were the breeding ground. They evolved. Oh, God. What have we, we took we them done? to a better place. <laughs> <laughs> so it began among parents who call regular COVID-19 testing unnecessary as results may force the whole school to shut down despite the number of children affected. Davis County School District parents are calling it the mom code. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Also, these people just don't care mm. about the health and safety of like Teachers Anyone and administrators and we'll staff. We'll get to it. Families that you're bringing that shit home to. We'll get to it. Ugh. Education is not childcare. And yes, I understand that this is a really, really difficult position for a lot of parents to be in. You should vote for people who consider childcare a human right. And then you wouldn't be reliant on school for three fucking meals a day. And you could get actual access to child care. This is uncovering so many deeper issues in Mm -hmm. our social structure that need to be addressed before Mm -hmm. sending children back to school during a pandemic. Like, Or or just, this isn't even about whether or not schools stay open. This is about hiding cases Mm -hmm. in order to artificially. Yeah, schools open. Let me read this because then we have plenty of time to complain about this. Well, we don't have plenty of time, but there's plenty of room to complain about it. Quote, stay home. Don't get tested, read one comment. If your child shows COVID symptoms, please keep them home, but do not test, said another, according to Good Morning America, which obtained screenshots of the posts before they were removed from social media. At least they were removed. I personally think getting tested is selfish, read another comment reported by Salt Lake City's KUTV. Because of the fact that they contact trace everyone, so one person leads to 30 people that have to quarantine or worse. Programs like athletics, etc., are shut down. It's mass hysteria because one person came in contact with another person that had the sniffles and ran to get tested. Stop the testing. Stop the contact contact tracing. If you just have the the sniffles and you get tested and it's negative, none of this matters. But COVID it's not people. the sniffles. It, 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 just a little bit more than we the can most bitch. Asinine shit I've ever heard in my life. This is exactly what Trump was saying about yep. how th- if we stopped testing, there'd be fewer cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no. Also, the governor of <laughs> Iowa. Salute. Oh Happy God. election. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommends patients test only when they show signs of COVID-19 illness 
or if they have been in contact with someone who has the virus. However, mom code proponents would rather risk the possibility of an outbreak due to an asymptomatic carrier of the infection than have school doors shut again. Or even a symptomatic carrier clearly, of yeah, the infection. Anyone. They're saying yeah. if your kid stay has home. symptoms, stay home and don't, don't get confirm tested. It. Yeah. So for the record, contact tracing is A, historically effective. Mm -hmm. Fucking do your research. B, if you have a Facebook account, you're being watched anyway. Get the fuck over it. It Mm -hmm. is crucial to the effective containment of epidemics. It has been proven time and time again. Mm -hmm. It sucks that schools are closed. I empathize with that. I don't have children. Thank Christ that are school age right now because this this is a very difficult position to be I in. I can't even fathom so hard it must be, yeah. Listen to the scientists. These moms are not epidemiologists. They are not scientists. Listen no. to the scientists for fuck's sake. And vote for mm-hmm. access to child care so that, again, you don't have to rely on public school specifically. Again, these are deeper issues. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Regular mm-hmm. meals for, for children, child care, uh, yep. paid leave, all yep. of this, all of this. All of it. Preach, mama. Oh, my God. Okay, so. So there are some real shit moms. Back on to mom crimes. The killing of one's mother is called matricide, and here are some notable cases. During the Battle of Okinawa in 1945, there are accounts in which Okinawan civilians killed their mothers to prevent them from being captured, raped, tortured, and or killed by the invading American forces. Well, that oh is just God. about the darkest thing with you've ever said. The That's not even close to the darkest thing fact. I've ever said. <laughs> up Hashtag there. mom facts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hashtag Jesus. mega. Oh, God, that's real dark. No. Okay. Can't wait for what comes next. Not so proud to be an American. (laughs) Mary Ann Lamb, who was the sister of essayist and author Charles Lamb, uh, killed their invalid mother during an episode of Mania in 1796. Oh, my God. That's not where I saw that going, even though we're talking about matricide. Oh, I'm just having a, a, a list of matricide. Just a, just a list. Okay. Jack Gilbert Graham killed his mother along with 43 people by planting a dynamite bomb in his mother's suitcase that was subsequently loaded aboard United Airlines Flight 629 in 1955. I'd never heard of this. No, me either. He used his mom as like a bomb mule. Ugh. <laughs> Look at Amanda's face. Oh. Maybe I do need to drink today. Yeah. Get on my level. I'll think about <laughs> it while you continue to ruin my life. Ever heard of John List? <laughs> yes. He murdered his mother, wife, and three children on November 9th, 1971, making List also guilty of filicide and uxoricide. I always forget that he killed his mother. He I his heard that the term listicle is based off of John List. It's not. <laughs> I know. I made that up. But. It's not. <laughs> no. The pause, though, the confidence with which I said it and the yeah. pause. I got what like I a wanted. mediocre white man. I got what I, yes, thank you, finally. <laughs> thank That's you. all I've brought me my wedding ring. <laughs> Aw. Where'd you find it? 
I swear I wear it all the time. So John List was a fugitive for 18 years. He was apprehended on June 1st, 1989 after an episode of America's Most, Most Wanted. Wanted. Haven't we covered List? I think we have, yeah. He yeah. was on the run for fucking ever. Ever. Yeah. Well, 18 years. And uh, on May 1st, 1990, he was sentenced to five life terms in prison. Mm-hmm. Mm. Jim Gordon, a session musician who played drums with Eric Clapton. Gordy! Ever heard of him? Mm. Yes. Heard of him too much. And the Dominoes bludgeoned his mother with a hammer and then stabbed her to death with a butcher's knife in 1983. Why do you need both? Overkill. Let the hammer do it. Yeah, overkill. Let the the hammer do it. It's an intimate intimate crime. I know, it's an intimate crime. In May 1984, he was sentenced to 16 years to life in prison. Also, beginning at 16 years for this, that's wild. Mm -hmm. Ronald DeFeo Jr. killed his parents and his four siblings in what would later become known as the Amityville Horror House. We've definitely covered that. Yep. Ryan Reynolds killed his wife, mother, and children. (laughs) Jake Gyllenhaal. In the 2006 remake. (laughs) No one heard my joke. Jake Gyllenhaal. I heard it. Insider just- House Rules. <laughs> the acclaimed horror film, Cider House Rules. <laughs> the Cider House Horror. Edmund Kemper beat his mother to death in 73 along with one of his mother's friends before turning himself into the police. I forgot that he killed his mom like right before he was arrested. Like, I think. Yup. Didn't it he seems fuck like her that skull? Would be- yup. Yeah, but I, fu- I thought hole. that was like a gate. I thought that was like the first thing. It he wasn't did. all of the, he had serious mommy issues, and they like created his this deep hatred that he had for women, and basically like the culmination of all of these murders, where he was basically murdering his mother over and over again. Oh yeah, ended so essentially with him finally final. killing his mom. She was yeah. his okay. capstone project. Mm-hmm. Well, it says mm-hmm. Kemper had been psychologically abused by his domineering mother in his mm-hmm. youth. And yeah, he fucked her neck hole. We've definitely yep. covered him. I think we've in covered first the episode. Necrophilia. Yeah. The yeah. neck hole. My the only episode I remember. Yeah. That will haunt me. That is the only episode I really remember. <laughs> well, dementia is real. Okay. Adam Lanza in oh, the Sandy Lambert. Hook Elementary School shooting shot and oh. killed his mother along with I'm going to say 26 individuals and then himself in December wow. 2012. I also forgot he killed his mother. He killed I, his mom first. What is it saying first. that I'm forgetting that all these people killed their mother? So many people kill their moms. It's like this a selective forgetting long. in order to encourage people to continue to breed. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. It's like when you have a baby and you it, your forget hormones all the make you forget shit. how much it how much it hurts so yeah. that you'll do it again. Right. Your brain's mm-hmm. making you forget that people kill their moms. Yeah. Actually, we'll get... <laughs> Probably. We'll get, I'm we'll not to, kidding. No, we'll get to motherhood. We'll yeah. get to it. Anthony Jacob Gennaro, notable white supremacist of Covington, Louisiana, killed his mother in 2019 after she refused to fill his Prozac prescription. Well, okay, maybe well, she should have. On a lot of levels. I'm maybe not a she should have refilled his Prozac. <laughs> Take, but maybe he should have refilled his, his own goddamn Prozac yeah, prescription. True. To yourself. Uh, last but not least, we have Dipendra of Nepal, uh, who reportedly massacred much of his family at a royal dinner on June 1st, 2001, including his mother, Queen Aswarya, father, brother, and sister. Damn. I'd wow. never heard of that either. 
Not Lots of mattress I'd have never even heard of. Yeah. Okay, and so now I have some fun facts about motherhood in general. Oh, those weren't the fun facts? <laughs> no, these these are the fun facts. Hashtag mom facts. <laughs> mom facts. <laughs> so they say that you'll always carry your child in your heart, but it's actually both. So they both, say that Ed Kemper fucked his mom's neck hole? Okay, so. <laughs> it's actually both corny and literally true. There's a thing called fetomaternal microchimerism where cells from a fetus pass through the placenta and establish cell lineage within the mother. Oh my God, Ray. <laughs> my pink Speaking pen is out. cell lineage my within the mother. My pink pen is out. He's going ballistic. <laughs> Get out. Jesus fucking Christ. Him and the pink pen, I swear to God. Get so, a sitter. So fetal... <laughs> Fetal cells have been documented. Child subsidized child, child care. care. It is a human right. <laughs> Ray deserves better. I, I can't better. work under these conditions. <laughs> you can't. You can't. I literally can't. Fetal cells have been documented to persist and and multiply in the mother for several decades. It grosses Whoa. me out so much. So this happens even if the even if the child is not born alive, so mm-hmm. if there's a miscarriage or whatever, and its cells can be found all over the mother's body, most notably in the heart and the brain. Whoa. And wow. scientists don't know a ton about this, but research suggests that those fetal cells may help to prevent Alzheimer's, autoimmune disorders, and breast cancer. Well, I guess I'm so going like, to get all three because I those, will not have those cells. Those, <laughs> those fetal cells help to protect like late life illnesses which i think is so cool it's creepy but it's kind of cool is that so that like moms can keep caring for their young it's just one of those things just one of those magical components of motherhood According yeah. to biologist Katie Hindi, when a baby suckles at its mother's breast, a Blah. vacuum is created. And we did talk, we touched on this in the dairy crimes. Mm-hmm. But this just for some reason hit me a little bit. It just I I think it's cool. It's mm-hmm. gross and so cool. Within that vacuum, the infant's saliva is sucked back into the mother's nipple, where receptors in her mammary gland read its signals. So this baby spit backwash. Yeah, this is all coming back to me now. Mm-hmm. It contains really, information I about really the about like the baby's. Hi, <laughs> Amanda I doesn't don't like, like it. No. <laughs> well, bear with me, please. So the the backwash <laughs> contains information about the baby's immune status, and everything scientists know about physiology indicates that baby backwash is one of the ways that breast milk adjusts its immunological composition. So we did talk about like if a if someone gives birth to twins and they regularly feed one twin on one boob and the other on the other boob, each boob can distribute different each like, boob. eat different <laughs> chemical compositions of breast milk. Nasuke. <laughs> it's made to order. Yeah. Ooh. She's a it's, line cook. It's hot. <laughs> it's, it's bespoke. bespoke. <laughs> it's bespoke breast milk. <laughs> breast poke. Oh. <laughs> Amanda's gonna throw. <laughs> yeah, where does this rank compared to lice? No, they're tied she, at she this point. She can't deal with lice. Um, honestly, I, heard- I can't deal with lice, and I cannot. I can deal with. I can deal with an explosive diarrhea diaper that shits up to your ears. 
but the baby, the tit milk spit up and the formula, the smell, can't, the milky spit. You have the weirdest hangups. Yeah, you do. Well, they're easy to avoid. Don't have kids and don't get lice and I'm fine. (laughs) Yeah. And lice and kids kind of go together. So I know. So tandem kind of a twofer. Okay. I'm forgetting the name of the podcast, but I've been listening to things you missed in history class a lot. And they have this ad going for a different podcast where someone is interviewing Kristen Bell Mm -hmm. and she's telling a story. (laughs) Have you heard this? No, but she's fucking funny about motherhood stuff. Yeah. She tells this story and I've only heard the ad, but I've heard it like 10 times that she had like a blockage in her milk duct and she didn't want to go on antibiotics because then she like couldn't keep breastfeeding. So she asked Dax to suckle as suckle the the, chunk out, suckle the chunks out. And he did. And it took, it took 30 minutes and he had like a spittoon. (laughs) I I gotta go. She's out. She is not here anymore. (laughs) (laughs) She's heaving in the corner. (laughs) Again, this is, you know, I'm just retelling an ad for another podcast. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. It's like those throat peanuts. The, the, Stop! Uh, are you <laughs> kidding me? The mucus plugs. Stop. Uh, <laughs> I will walk off of this show. <laughs> I will walk. I will walk. You don't walk. I will roll. I will hobble. I'll shuffle away from the show so fast. So slowly, it'll make your head spin. (laughs) Anyway, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Are you? Yes. But you might want to walk away again. The worst part's not over, I don't think. Oh, my God. Actually, no. Yes. The the worst part's over. Okay. Mm, oh, the worst part's almost over. Just, okay. just do it. Just do it. Just fucking do it. I don't care. Just fucking do it. I just get care. the chunks out. Just do it. If the mammary gland receptors detect the presence of pathogens, they compel the mother's body to produce antibodies to fight it, and those antibodies travel through the breast milk back into the baby's body where they target the infection. That's mm-hmm. super cool. I like so that. Your That's boob like body is a pharmacy. Robotics. It's a pharmacy. Mm-hmm. So, author of How the Immune System Works, Lauren Sampirak, nailed it, says, quote, when a mother kisses her baby, she samples those pathogens that are on the baby's face. Those are the ones that the baby is about to ingest. Um, So, these samples are taken up by the mother's secondary lymphoid organs, like the tonsils, and memory B cells specific for those pathogens are re-stimulated. These B cells then migrate to the mother's breasts where they produce just those just those antibodies that the baby needs. So is that why babies are like so kissable? That's I why we that's feel why, compelled to do I that? I think that's why babies smell so good because you want to get your face close to it mm-hmm. to like kiss it. Yeah, and smell and, it. And, and then okay. that affects your, as the mother, that affects, affects your breast smell composition. Hmm. It's I like it. wild. There have been studies that show that babies' heart rates sync with their parents when in the same vicinity, while the same is not true with strangers. So it's specific to its parents. That's cute. And it's possible that that this is triggered when the parents smile at the baby. Oh, 
my god. Okay, that's, that's precious. Sweet. I know. I think that's kind of cute. Never smile at your baby. Seeing, <laughs> seeing or hearing basement boy. <laughs> seeing or hearing they won't our mother's wrong if you smile at them. I wonder <laughs> if they would know how to smile if they were never once smiled at. I think it's Ooh. instinctual. Yeah. Or while babies are so young that they see things upside down, what if you just frowned really severely at them? <laughs> what if you did? <laughs> what if? All right, I'm trying I guess it. we'll never know. That's why you have children, to experiment mm-hmm. on them. That is They're, literally why. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a really real experiment that lasts mm-hmm. 18 years. Okay, so seeing or hearing our mother's voice releases the same amount of oxytocin as getting a hug from them, and that cancels out cortisol, which is the stress hormone. So if you ever feel stressed out, mm-hmm. call your mom. It mm-hmm. chemically reduces your cortisol levels. Mm-hmm. For some. Sometimes. I'm sure it does. I'm assuming if you, <laughs> if you have like a stable, healthy relationship. With them. <laughs> yeah. I like how both of us are like, I definitely call my mom mom when I'm stressed out, but not everybody has that same luxury. Mm -hmm. Call my mom. Mm -hmm. In English, she's mom. In Mandarin Chinese, she's mama. In Spanish, she's mama too, though with slightly different accents on the syllables. So Mm -hmm. mom is translated as mama in Iceland, ma in Punjabi, m in Hebrew, and me in Vietnamese. So if you're noticing a trend... Mm-hmm. It's because one of the first word-like sounds that babies typically vocalize is a ma sound. Yep. And so almost every language across the globe has taken that baby talk as the basis for the word mother. Oh, I love that. Which is, and that I've makes a lot of sense. I've noticed it before, but it's super cute. So it's, it's driven so by babies. Mama. It's kind of like how Mama. ananas is the word for pineapple in every language except for English. Anas. Anas, anas. It's anus. It's an anus. All right. It's an anus. It's an anus. Okay. <laughs> That's my sag. Well done. Yay! I only almost gagged myself to death and had to leave and then come back. You left the room. I left to the other side of the room. I left the headphones. Yeah. Because I needed Skype to get room. out of range of being able to hear anything that was coming through them. It was too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you did that. To me. Mm-hmm. I'm proud. Well done. Let's hear a word from our sponsors. Milk.com. <laughs> Dairy farmers of Frogboobs.com. Frogboobs. Uh, <laughs> Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. They started with the perfect suitcase. Perfect. Crafted with features that make travel more seamless. And now when even the familiar looks different, you can count on a Way's range of essentials to solve real travel problems whenever you decide to take that next trip. We were on tour last summer. Mm-hmm. Really helped when being forced to survive out of a suitcase that our suitcase mm-hmm. was this magnificent. We could all not have, have done it away. with any other bag. You can cram so mm. much in there. It is absurd. So these days, travel mm-hmm. looks different, but no matter where you need to go, Away offers a range of suitcases and other travel products made of different materials like polycarbonate, aluminum, and durable nylon mm-hmm. in a variety of colors and sizes. So whatever you need to bring with you, Away has luggage that will help you make your next trip more seamless. 
I've been road tripping a lot with Bill and we got our camper this year mm-hmm. and I, my car has like a tow kit, but it can't tow a huge weight. And so it's actually really nice that we have like an arsenal of away suitcases that are these super lightweight, like very efficient mm-hmm. luggage so that we're not bogging down our road trip vehicles with all of this extra weight that's just attributed to the luggage. That's mm-hmm. the worst. Mm-hmm. And all of away suitcases are designed to last a lifetime. They have durable exteriors that can withstand even the roughest of baggage handlers or when Loretta goes over those bumps mm-hmm. and my bags go flying in the camper. Mm-hmm. Every suitcase comes with an interior organization system that includes a built-in compression pad to help you pack more in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and a hidden and removable laundry bag that separates your dirty clothes. That is like a luxury I never realized I needed until I got in a way bag and now I can never go yeah, back. Yeah, I love the laundry bags. Mm-hmm. And it has four 360-degree spinner wheels that guarantee the smoothest roll, even through the most hectic of airports and stations, and a TSA-approved combination lock that keeps all of your belongings safe. Mm-hmm. And Away products are designed to last a lifetime. If any part of your suitcase breaks, Away's standout customer service team will arrange to have it fixed or replaced. There's a 100-day trial on everything that Away makes. You can take the product out on the road, live with it, travel yeah. with it, get lost with it, perhaps literally, for 100 yeah. days. And if you decide it's not for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund during that period. No ifs, ands, or asterisks. Mm-mm. And Away offers free shipping and returns on any order within the contiguous U.S., Europe, Canada, and Australia. I mean, wow. <laughs> yep, amazing. So start your 100-day trial and shop the entire Away lineup of travel essentials, including their best-selling suitcases at awaytravel.com slash winecrime20. That's awaytravel.com slash winecrime20. And if you couldn't tell, that is case sensitive, that URL. So I was reading that in lowercase. Oh, the magic of, of reading mm-hmm. in lowercase. <laughs> yeah. So treat your treat travel. Your travel. <laughs> treat it. <laughs> Are we ready for my case? Sure. Yeah. All right. It's pretty bonkers. And you're going to hear about one man that you really don't want to call to reduce your cortisol levels. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so it's not for everyone. Mm-mm. Barbara Daly was born in 1921 and was raised in Cambridge, Massachusetts. When she was 11 years old, her father died by suicide. And um, he actually asphyxiated himself in the family's garage with fumes from his car. Yeah. Old school. But he succeeded in making his death look enough like an accident that Barbara, his widow, or Barbara, his daughter, and, and her mother, his widow, were able to collect his life insurance policy. Mm-hmm. So he, like, thought it through, and yeah, but not a great start. No. Barbara's, I've heard better. Mm-hmm. Barbara's mother, Nini, decided that the best use of that insurance money was to move her young daughter to New York City, where she could grow up among the upper class and ideally self-actualize by finding herself a wealthy husband. Mm. Oh, That's yeah. how it's done. The only way out. The only mm-hmm. way out. 
And Mother Nini's plan to find her daughter a place in the New York social scene was successful. As a teenager, Barbara was named one of New York's 10 most beautiful girls. Oh, my God. (laughs) That would not fly. No. No. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Look at these beautiful children. Yeah. Put them on display for all to gawk at. Yeah. It's like our, uh, what was our pageant crimes? Like most mm -hmm. beautiful eyes and most beautiful legs and yeah. Ugh, yeah. The bag over the head. <laughs> just the, those metal masks the with just the eyes. Mm-hmm. I love it. We will get to bags over the head. Good God. Okay. <laughs> well, this I led- was worried. I'm so glad. <laughs> this led to modeling contracts with Vogue and Harper's Bazaar when she was still a teen and in her early 20s. Sounds awful. Her work as a model in New York then caught the eye of a Hollywood film studio, which invited her out west to record a screen test. And there are photos of her on the drive, Barbara, and she was very beautiful. The screen test did not result in any acting jobs, uh, but while she was in Hollywood, she met and became friends with another aspiring actress named Cornelia Dickie Bakeland. Dickie. I love this. love this time. Yep. Dickie. So Dickie we just was don't a wealthy name them heiress. Like we used to. I know. Well, you like it because it reminds you of the talented Mr. Ripley. Uh-huh. I know you. Yep, totally. <laughs> you mean so being right. John Malkovich? <laughs> <laughs> Sir Dickie, then Cider House oh, Rules. I just get oh. all these movies mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> being John Malkovich shouldn't being be John Malkovich, the any. talented Mr. Ripley, and what's the other one? We've covered this before. Thomas Crown the, Affair. Thomas Crown yeah. Affair, and then there's another one. Cider oh, House Captain, Rules. My Captain. Cider House Rules. No, not that's House not Rules. Cider House Rules. That's the the teacher one. Yep. <sighs> the, the, the substitute. The, the smart no. Matt Damon. <laughs> the faculty. The talented <laughs> Matt, Mr. Damon. Oh, no, the, that's the a apples. different one. The apples. <laughs> That's a different one, too. They're all the same. They're the same. Okay, oh, Captain is not, it's not, what's the fucking worst? Well, I said I get them all mixed up. Where's the lie? Anything. Goodwill Hunting is Good the Will Damon Will. one. It's all the same. No, and then the Goodwill John Malkovich. Dead Poets Society. Yes. Dead fucking Poets Society. They're all the same. <laughs> Full circle. They should come in a box uh, set, honestly. You have a thing they with really three-word three word movie titles. Being Dead John Malkovich. Society, Dead Poet Society. Talented Thomas Crown Mr. Affair. Risley. Ripley. <laughs> oh, my Good God. They are hunting. Cider House Rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're all the same. <laughs> okay. I call John Malkovich. <laughs> Welcome to our movies podcast. It's not doing well, and we're losing all of our sponsors. <laughs> if you're wondering how our new movie podcast was going, that's it. Update. Special guest, poor man's Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Joe Geronimo. <laughs> oh, my God, that was bad. Okay. Uh, we are very stupid women. <laughs> okay, so her friend, this friend... Cornelia Dickie Bakeland 
was a wealthy heiress who was the granddaughter of Leo Bakeland, a Belgian chemist who was the inventor of, wait for it, plastics. I was going to say rubber nipples, and that's not that far off. Just plastic. Love it. It reminds me of that scene in The Graduate when he, the, that guy by the pool is just like, plastics. No? <laughs> yeah. The big, don't ask the us. The next frontier. This is not a movie podcast. The graduate. That's only that's only two words. The graduate. So Mm -hmm. it might have hit differently. I don't know. True. True. Might it have? Anyway, this should give you a sense of the amount of money that this family had. Dickie introduced Barbara to her younger brother Brooks, a handsome pilot in training for the Royal Canadian Air Force. Barbara and Brooks hit it off immediately, and Barbara decided that he was exactly the wealthy husband that she and Nini had long been searching for. Oh, good. Not long after they began dating, Barbara told Brooks that she was pregnant, which was not true. Oops. Okay. Okay. And the two were married. So it That always works out. (laughs) No notes. Like mother, like daughter, honestly. And I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Barbara's father's death was fishy because Mm. Nini was very manipulative, and then Barbara becomes... Real sloppy bananas and, <laughs> okay. and manipulative. I'm ready for it. The couple then moved to New York and uh, got a luxury apartment on the Upper East Side. They were prominent members of New York High Society and soon became known for their wild parties, which were mm. attended by celebrities like Greta Garbo, Salvador Dali, and Tennessee Williams. Wow. And Matt Damon. Yeah. And Jake Gyllenhaal slash and- Toby Aguirre. <laughs> Same difference. <laughs> Which one was Spider-Man? Spider-Man. Neither, Tommy McGuire. right? Tommy McGuire. Oh. Toby McGuire. There was a third one we had lumped yeah. in there, though, too. I think it was Topher Grace. Topher yeah. Grace. But he's from that 70s show. Right. Not Spider-Man. You no. know, they all kind of look exactly the same. Tover mm-hmm. Grace and Toby Maguire are the same person, and mm-hmm. you can't prove that they're not because mm-hmm. no one's ever seen them in the same room <laughs> at the same time. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mm -hmm. fuck, you're right. Mm -hmm. And that's the hill I will die on. (laughs) That and the Space Needle is a hoax. It's not real. It (laughs) is. I am a Space Needle truther. Uh, We are all being gaslit. And Kelsey Grammer is the problem. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. And the solution. (laughs) That's That's the grain of truth in the conspiracy theory. There she is. All right. Okay. You'll all see. They have these wild parties. At one such gathering, the men were told to take off their clothes, like strip naked, and stand behind a screen that only concealed their torsos and faces, and then the women had to guess which bottom half belonged to which man. Including Wiener? I'm going to need to measure it. (laughs) Oh, that's not good. That (laughs) is... Horrific. I told you we'd get to bags over faces. Bull. Screens. But whatever. Oh, no. Ick. This was the 1940s. We got away with some shit. Yeah. Brooks later recalled, quote, my house was always buzzing with beautiful, silly, tipsy people. Congrats. In 1946, Barbara got pregnant for realsies and gave birth to a son named Anthony, who they called Tony. People who knew the family recall that from the time that he was a baby, Brooks and Barbara were very invested in the idea that Tony was a child prodigy. Okay. 
Tony was not a child prodigy. <laughs> your child, the, 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 the amount of times out. your child prodigy turns out to actually be a child prodigy is mm-hmm. about 0.01%, folks. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. your kids average, mm-hmm. get used to it. And you can't make them a prodigy sure either. Can't. You could maybe ruin their lives and their childhood and make them like a spelling bee champion Mm -hmm. that they don't want to be like you could you can force some achievement on a child by through abuse i was gonna say you could abuse your kid into being real good at something but maybe fucking don't do that yeah yeah but you cannot yeah well let them find their own passions mm because if they were super into spelling and they became a national spelling bee champion great great We'd be front and center at every spelling game. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. like, who genuinely wants to play the violin? No one. <laughs> There's probably very few people out there. Not a single person. <laughs> so, um, Tony was regularly trotted out at parties to show off some supposedly genius talent that, whatever. Please promise me right now, both of you. Mm-hmm. That no trotting of your children children out every holiday. Oh, will or won't? Should or shouldn't? (laughs) Unless it's like, look, Damien Faye learned how to gut a roadkill today, and I want to show it to you. I do not want to see your kid play the bassoon. Oh, my! Or whatever the fuck they have to do for middle school music. My cousin Harry concert. I think Harry's like probably twenty two (laughs) now, and. Up until recently, through his whole childhood, my aunt dressed him in a little plaid bow tie and a vest and made him play the piano at our family Christmas party. Because <laughs> he was just the baby of all the cousins. Oh, he was one of the youngest, and she was so very concerned. proud of his musical skills. And sure, dress him up and make him play, and then you could you could tell in his like <laughs> mid teenage years, he was just like fuck. <laughs> but he just he just took it. To what a good kid, <laughs> poor bastard. Now he's old enough to just do it with a good beer buzz and think it's funny. But there was like a good yeah. eight year period when he was. Just it was like, not yeah, funny. Fuck this. For, Fourteen yep. to twenty two. Honestly, was rough. Not here for it. <laughs> it was probably rough. <laughs> oh Jesus! I make no promises. I think it's hysterical. I think it's hilarious. I fully support it. Oh, God. You will be required at every middle school concert. <laughs> I am not showing up. And drama for any production. Of that shit. <laughs> I like your art. Do you, do you want to hear a seventh grader's dramatic monologue? Yes, no. you do. No, I don't. So he's trotted out at parties to show off his genius. And when he's not being shown off to his parents' friends at parties, he's basically just ignored. He's mm-hmm. just a prop oh, in their lives. Sad. Poor Bubby. He's a ventriloquist doll. Oh, he it gets so much worse. The artist Yvonne Thomas, who attended the Bakelands parties, remembers that, quote, they wanted the boy to be a genius. That's what struck me. I felt uncomfortable for him because I felt he felt he had to be something. Just let him be a kid. Mm-hmm. Another friend remembers being extremely uncomfortable at one of these parties when Brooks and Barbara instructed a very young Anthony to read aloud from the erotic writings of the Marquis de Sade. <gasps> Ooh, what? that's gross stuff. 
I mean, yeah. not gross. I don't want to yuck anyone's yum, but like that's really serious. That's like a not five-year-old for kid children. No, it's to be not. Real. It's barely for adults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet another friend broke off contact completely with the Bakelands after listening to Brooks describe with pride how his young son had torn the wings off of several flies to study how it would affect their balance. Ooh, that's and a red flag. Yeah, and the friend found that found this pride that Brooks took in his son's like evident cruelty a little jarring. Yeah, really disturbing. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. There are other ways to knock flies off of their balance. You know what I mean? Swat them. I don't find that disturbing because do what you got to do to bugs. Good Lord. But you could catch flies, put them in a jar, swing them around, make them dizzy, and then let them go and let them fly around to see how weird they fly. Does anybody else just use a fly swatter or fly paper? Yeah, if you're going to kill a fly. I don't kill flies. I let them die and then I throw them away. They don't live that long. I don't give a shit about flies. Long enough. live with it. When Anthony was eight, his parents decided to leave New York and embark on a nomadic existence where they were constantly moving between luxury resorts and popular European destinations. Oh, how awful. I'm sure his education was a priority Mm -hmm. during all this. (laughs) It wasn't. It wasn't. As a result, Anthony had no structure or stability, and his parents were alternating between paying intense attention to him, like when there was an audience, and ignoring him completely to go out partying. Mm-hmm. A friend who went to visit the Bakelands in the south of France recalls that, quote, they just sat and drank masses of wine and jabbered and gossiped with this duchess and that principessa and yet another contessa this and that, and Tony was left out of everything. Which sounds fun, but if you have a kid, maybe... Pay attention to your kid. Right. What's a principessa? It's like an Italian royalty thing. I like the sounds of that. Yeah, sounds pretty good. Sounds like a beanie baby or a Pokemon. Principessa. Ray, you're my little (laughs) principessa. Left to his own devices and without friends of his own because he's constantly traveling. Yeah, he doesn't have time to make them. Mm Mm-hmm. It was not uncommon for young Tony to spend an afternoon engaging in disturbing activities like collecting live crabs and then pulling them apart. Yeah, it's now it's, it's not good what he's doing to animals, whether they're bugs or whatever. It's right. not a good situation. Right. By the time Tony was 14, it was obvious that he had inherited his parents' good looks and charm, but many people also noticed the evidence of his lonely childhood. That summer, a couple with a young baby came to stay with the Bakelands, bringing them a two-week supply, bringing with them a two-week supply of baby food. They soon noticed that the baby food was disappearing, and they discovered that Anthony was sneaking down to the kitchen at night and eating it, something that they attributed to his psychological state and wanting to identify with the baby because the baby was getting getting attention. attention, And also, he had never received proper care from his own parents. Oh, that's so, oh, that like, so creepy. He was yeah. like regressing yep. and eating the baby food. Aww. How old was he? 14? 14. Aww. Oh. Oh, this point, is sad. Yeah, it Dark. gets worse. Yeah, Yay. I bet it does. By this point, Anthony was attending boarding school and only spending summers with his parents at whatever vacation destination they happened to be staying at. And you'd think, I don't know. I mean, boarding school... 
Boarding school can be tough for people with well-adjusted childhoods. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At boarding school, he had his first sexual experiences with male classmates. When he was on vacations, he would often pick up older boys and bring them home with him while his parents were out partying. His parents were informed of this, and his dad, and to his dad, it did not come as a shock. It simply confirmed something that he had suspected for a while about sure. Tony. That he was gay or that he was having sexual relationships at a relatively young age? Or both. I think that he was gay. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't, it wouldn't have been an issue that he was having sex as a teenager, I guess. That wasn't the issue, mm-hmm. and we will get to it. Okay. For Barbara, this was a different story. It was, she was not okay with mm-hmm. Tony's sexuality. According to one source, Tony's, homo, quote, Tony's homosexuality was a terrible shock to his mother who fought against it with him ferociously. Fuck off. It's none of your fucking business who your kid boinks. She simply could not accept it. <laughs> let the boy boink. Well, as long as he's boinking safely, let the boy least, boink. At least he's not eating fucking baby food for attention. He's right. just like, maybe maybe this is just what he needs to live his life. Mm-hmm. This is a little bit of an Oedipus situation. It's going to be really bad. Okay, here we go. For the next several years, Barbara continued to fight with Anthony about his homosexual relationships, while at the same time, her marriage was becoming more and more volatile. Brooks had begun sleeping with other women. I know you're shocked. Mm-hmm. But he felt he couldn't leave Barbara because every time she discovered one of his affairs, she threatened and sometimes attempted suicide. Sure. Okay. And we're all thriving in this family. Everyone's doing super healthy. Mm -hmm. We're mentally all there. We're there. Stable. Yep. Money solves all problems. And everyone with money is happy. A nomadic European luxury lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What could go wrong? Mm Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Barbara was carrying on affairs of her own in order to demonstrate to her husband that she was still desirable to men. I see that. I can see it. I feel that, <laughs> see, I feel I that deeply. That. <laughs> I feel that deeply inside me. <laughs> it's not like Show that's me what you still I got do. it, girl. Show me you still got it. I can mm-hmm. just see the dysfunction leading to the logical next step. Oh, yeah. Sure. It's very classic. Yeah. This terrible family situation came to a head in the summer of 1967 when Anthony was 21 years old. Barbara made him dress up in a little bow tie and play the piano at the family Christmas gathering. No! This is fucking like... (laughs) This is some mother boy shit from Arrested Development. Oh my god. I couldn't resist. I wasn't following It was seamless. Lucy's face. Is this about my family? <laughs> it's only a matter of time till we cover a Poe family Christmas cake. That would be so good. <laughs> no, um, it's actually worse than having to play the piano in a bow tie. Far worse. <laughs> a tartan bow tie, though. <laughs> Top With of a the matching line. vest. I was going to say, is there a vest? There's yes. always a vest. <laughs> And and matching socks. Oh, God. Okay. I don't think it's worse. (laughs) Tony decided to spend the summer with his parents in the Spanish resort town of Cadac. No, I don't know how to say that. Here, (laughs) Cadaquace. Nailed it. Whatever. (laughs) Spain. (laughs) The town of The Spanish resort of Spain. <laughs> here, here he met an Australian man named Jake Cooper. 
Anthony was entranced by Jake, who was tall and handsome with dark hair and always wore a silver earring and a black leather vest with small bones sewn into it that he referred to as amulets. So he's entering his gay goth phase. (laughs) I'm also entranced by Jake Cooper. I think I made out with this guy in Excelsior once. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Down by the beach by that that dead end. Yep. Oh, yeah. I know. Thread my friends. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> it was not Jake Gyllenhaal or whatever this guy's name is. It was <laughs> not. That's, Jake Cooper yeah. lived in an abandoned farmhouse with an entourage of hippies who referred to him as Black Jake. Ish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like Black Jake. It's, it's 1967. It was the 60s. Anthony began spending all of his time at the farmhouse taking hallucinogens and essentially doing whatever Jake asked of him, including giving him money. He was just completely enthralled under his spell. Question. Yes. Is Jake Cooper a black man or they just call him black Jake because he wears a black vest? Yeah, like goth Jake. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Black. What's the what's the goat? Black Black Philip. Black Philip. I was just trying to gauge if this was like a racial connotation name or just like a, from our standpoint, an insensitive nickname to a, you know, person who wears a lot of black. I think it's like a person who wears a lot of black goth cake. Gotcha. A family friend noticed that Tony seemed to be in a bad situation and called Barbara to express her concerns. So, you know... Tony's 21. He's enthralled. He's living in this abandoned farmhouse he's with a bunch hanging of hanging out doing with drugs. Some scary looking kids, some gas and kids. Giving, and giving them money, which mm-hmm. that's when rich people draw the line. Right. Barbara decided to take Tony to Switzerland with her to get away from Jake. But when she attempted to cross the border with her son, they were detained because he didn't have his passport on him, which led to Barbara throwing a fit and kicking and spitting. At the immigration officers. Okay, that behavior is unacceptable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, she's great. Everyone's great. Barbara and Tony were then arrested. A friend who was with them that night remembered being horrified when she heard Barbara saying to her son as they were led away, Here you are, darling, at last, manacled to mummy. <gasps> oh. Wow, that's icky. <laughs> Part of me wonders, like, how long she breastfed for. Eight years. Yeah. And it's just your pure kid gin and ask tonics. you for it by name. <laughs> <laughs> the breasts start make producing gin. <laughs> well, as we know. Yeah. There's a distillery in there. It's a regular pharmacy. <laughs> slash distillery. My God. <laughs> and the arrest was not only significant was not the only significant event that summer for the Bakeland family. After Black Goth Jake, after that episode, Tony met and began dating a French teenager named Sylvie, who was also in Kadak on vacation with her family. So maybe he was bi. We don't know. Doesn't matter. Let's Doesn't not matter. put him Suspect in a box. Him. Yeah. yeah. That's not really the issue here, yeah. evidently. Let him fuck. <laughs> Barbara was overjoyed that her son was showing interest in a woman and almost immediately began inviting Sylvie over for dinners and pressuring the young couple to marry. Ish. Bitch. Go away. Is he still like 14? He's 21. Oh, okay. And But this girl's a teenager. Oh. Yeah. I mean, Mm. she's she could be like 18 or 19. I don't actually know exactly, but like. Too young to be pressuring their child into marriage. Yeah. 
Yeah. And she would remind Sylvie that her son would be very rich one day. That is incredibly gross. Yeah. That's gross. But I do not like that. Barbara's meddling backfired. Instead of bringing Sylvie and Tony closer together, it introduced Sylvie to Brooks, the father, her husband. No. And the two began having an affair. Oh, no. Sylvie and Tony's dad? Yeah. Oh, no. Started dating the son, ended up drinking the dad. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't like that. I I really don't like anything about that. I don't like a single thing about that. Except for the luxury European vacation. (laughs) Right, right, right. I do like that. I like that. Yeah. The discovery of Brooks and Sylvie's affair began a year-long ordeal during which both Barbara and Sylvie each attempted suicide. Oh, get away from this family. And which ended with Brooks finally leaving Barbara for Sylvie, for this French teenager. Ooh, ooh. Ouch. E.T. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Barbara and Tony, (laughs) so the mother and the son, both traumatized by the year's events, decided to spend the following summer together at a house in Mallorca. At Spain. At Spain. At at Spain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That had been loaned to them by the daughter of an Austrian archduke. Oh, which one? None of this is real, but okay. So what could go wrong now that Tony is manacled to mummy in Mallorca? (laughs) (laughs) Also, I want to write the musical Tony and mummy in Mallorca at Mm -hmm. Spain. Mm -hmm. Tony and mummy. In Mallorca. Here, they spent most of their days drinking together and getting high. I mean, classic mother-son relationship. Mm -hmm. Bonding. And here... It was here that Barbara's terrible parenting would cross the line into the truly depraved. Wait, it hadn't already? Nope. Not yet. Oh, it's Kenyon. It always gets worse. That's true. (laughs) We're hitting climax, so get ready to vomit. (laughs) Writer Alan Harrington. I'm close. (laughs) Writer Alan Harrington, a friend of Barbara's, received a phone call from her in which she informed him that she had slept with her son in order to, quote, break him of his homosexual tendencies. Oh, oh what? There are worse problems to have, Barbara. It's not and a problem. It's, it's just it's, a yeah, problem. Not a problem. She's making it a problem. Right. And then she's doubling down. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. my God. Mm-hmm. Ish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is so gross. They're just rich and crazy and attention uh, ravenous and was this a self-isolating? Movie? I mean, probably. This it is sounds like it. I've horrific. I know. Either we've covered this before or it's a movie. <laughs> shocked. So the friend hearing this on the phone is shocked. He at first tried to reassure her and assuage her guilt, but then okay. he realized that Barbara didn't sound like she felt guilty at all because she didn't she didn't 
And she kept insisting that the encounter had been, quote, therapeutic for Tony. No. No. Hi, no. It no. wasn't. Mm-hmm. I can't it think wasn't. of a single circumstance where seeing your mother nude in a sexual <laughs> situation would be therapeutic mm. for literally any reason or context, period. No. It's not. No. No. It's There's no super context. Super not. Oh, yeah. that's so gross. Uh, mm-hmm. Poor mm-hmm. Tony. Mm-hmm. Poor mm-hmm. Tony. Mm-hmm. Far from being therapeutic, this episode seemed to understandably be the last straw and destroy Tony psychologically and emotionally. Mm -hmm. I'm destroyed psychologically and emotionally. Yep. He and Barbara moved back to New York and into an apartment together, and pretty much everyone who encountered him during this time period found his behavior troubling. He would take off his clothes and walk around the apartment naked during a dinner party. He's acting out. Yeah. He's he's crying for help. Well, he also, psychologically, any boundary that has ever been established in his mind is gone. Gone. I feel like the primary boundary is your parents and sexuality. Mm -hmm. Like that is a black and white, that is a boundary. But they already were blurring that boundary They've been blurring that boundary for, for him time. his whole life, making him read the Marquis de Sade. But this yeah. feels like a crack. This feels like a— Oh, yeah. Th- now there is no such thing as a boundary, period. Right. right. There were the a board. lot of fissures, and then it just exploded. Yeah, this isn't something that just all of a sudden— Inse- all of a sudden, a chemistry occurs and incest. Mm-hmm. It's An like, incest no, occurs. this is a gradual— right. Act of uh, uh, abuse. Something has to be so fucking off for this to even occur. Oh, yeah. So much had to be wrong. So much. Yeah. 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 But of course, no wonder why he thinks that getting naked and walking around just for is appropriate behavior or normal. Yeah. He also um, he enrolled in art school. And then he would paint, like, graphic and disturbing imagery when, like, the assignment would be, like, paint a still life of fruit. Sure, yeah. What do you do? Can't when, shake that. You can't shake having mm-hmm. sex with your mother. Mm-hmm. And also struggling with your own sexuality, sexuality at a time when your sexual, your actual healthy, normal sexuality is not it's accepted. Yeah. Or should be yeah. blooming. Also, it wasn't even having sex with your mother. It was being molested and possibly raped right. by your mother. Yes. I mean, he was an adult, but yes. I mean, it's not okay. Like, are you ever really an adult with your parents? You know what I mean? Well, in our, it, I mean, there's no rape. scenario where sex with your parent is not very highly damaging. Yeah. Oh, uh, completely. And, and yeah. likely has to be coercive, which in my, I don't know. Usually I could find nuances and gray areas and a lot of challenging concepts, but this is where I'm like, that always feels like rape to me and I'm not okay yeah. with it. Right. Yeah. When friends expressed concerns to Barbara, she insisted that Tony was quote, simply a misunderstood genius who was never meant to work and toil in this sick society. Okay. <laughs> Lucy's face. Okay. <laughs> and there is I, reason- I just can't with this bitch. I can't. I can't with this cunt. 
(laughs) (laughs) There is reason to believe that Barbara's sexual relationship, whatever it was, with her son did not end in at Spain, in Mallorca. (laughs) What did not end at Spain. Tony confided to a friend, quote, I am fucking my mother. I don't know what to do. I feel desperate. Ooh. So it's an ongoing, it's not just a one time, it's an ongoing. That is what is believed, yes. I mean, they were, he was still living at home and he was walking around naked and she didn't feel any guilt about it. And he's doing repeated cries for help and telling people that it's going on. All signs Uh. point to yes. Oh, this is a bad one, even for you. Yep. (laughs) And then... Tony's erratic behavior soon escalated to violence towards Barbara. Mm-hmm. Natural next step in this kind of situation, honestly. Mm-hmm. One night, he beat his mother unconscious with a wooden walking stick. Oh. That's, that's brutal. I don't know if there were any, like, I don't know if there was, like, an argument that led up to that or if she was caught off guard. Sure. I don't know. Barbara recovered. And then Tony was diagnosed with schizophrenia, which I don't feel is an accurate diagnosis. But trauma can actually cause it. Because oh, really? It, yeah, because schizophrenia, like, there's actual, like, damage to your frontal lobe that completely changes the wiring of your brain mm-hmm. that can be literally caused by, like, mm. years-long exposure to trauma. So th- I oh. think this is legitimate. He may not have had it as earlier, mm-hmm. but... You can develop it because of shit like this. Oh, but you, uh, but it can also just be a normal something yeah, that you're born with. Yeah, it also tends to man- manifest when you're about 25, too. So yeah, that's like yeah. Non- none of this surprises me, to be honest. Okay. But you can be schizophrenic without having physical or emotional trauma. Of some Absolutely. Right. right. Absolutely. It can be genetic or it can be... Mm-hmm. I didn't know it could be induced by trauma. I, I didn't either. His doctor recommended that he be institutionalized, but mm. claiming that she could not afford it and that his father would not help pay, which we also don't know if that's true or not. Barbara, uh, He probably was not like privy to a lot of what is going on here now that he's run off with yeah, the girl from Ipanema or whatever the fuck. Yeah, he's the girl from Ipanema. <laughs> <laughs> I think Barbara just didn't want Tony I think she wanted Tony to be manacled. A thousand to her. Yeah. She's I think so too. Already stated. And as it much. really seems like she might be isolating them in such a way mm-hmm. that outsiders don't necessarily know outside of what Tony has been his cries for help. Mm-hmm. But who knows mm-hmm. what kind of relationship he even has with his dad at this point. His dad really might not know what the fuck is going on here. Right. Or right. the extent to which this shit's going down. Right. I'm guessing Brooks didn't know. He probably either didn't know or did kind of know on some level and just was ignored. Push it down, push it down. Right. Because it's so fucked up. Right. Mm -hmm. So Barbara did not get Tony help. Instead, she took him home with her. The two moved from New York to London, more isolation, and Tony's violent and unpredictable behavior continued to escalate. On one occasion, he smashed a raw egg in his mother's face during a dinner party. I mean, I love it. I mean, <laughs> that's a move. She deserved it. I mean, oh, but, a thousand percent. Yeah. She deserves yeah. a lot worse. Gross display, though. I mean, yeah. I, yep. It sounds like all everything we know about the, this relationship is coming from other people or what other people see. Yeah. And what they, like, confess in desperation to their friends. Right. 
Another time, he attempted to stab her in the eye with a pen. (gasps) On another, he threatened her with a kitchen knife in front of guests while wearing only his underwear. Oh, dear. They just kept it's having just dinner get, it's parties. It's getting worse. Yep. Why would you Stop attend having their dinner over. parties? <laughs> yeah. That's the million-dollar question. It's hard enough to host a dinner party when you're right? not an abusive fucking child. It's yeah. a lot of moving parts. That's a rough Ugh, one. Yeah. Yuck. People who knew Barbara began to believe that it was only a matter of time before Tony killed her, but they probably mm-hmm. didn't know why. They just thought yep. Tony was fucked up. Was they losing it. Yeah. Yeah. She dismissed their concerns, claiming that her son would never actually hurt her. Okay. Mm, I have a feeling we'll get to it. But in July of 1972, Tony pushed his mother into oncoming traffic. Uh, Mm -hmm. Oh. She survived. Of fucking course she did. Like, evil people have a Mm -hmm. force field. Well... And Tony was arrested for attempted murder, but Barbara refused to press charges, and he was soon released back into her care, her custody, and her home. Yep. Yeah. So yep. much was it's overlooked. So up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they're both adults, so I get that there's only so much the authorities could do, but it's just it's so just sad because this young man flag was after raised red flag, like mm-hmm. not even red and he flags, was raised but like in straight abuse. up evidence. Yeah, he was raised in abuse, and honestly, there's almost something. Munchausen's oh, by proxy adjacent sure. oh, to yeah. this. Where his mom like, is completely my, puppeteering this shit. Yeah, exactly. And like, oh, my boy. And, you know, like she's the long suffering, like mother with the manacled to mummy. Well, yeah. we talked about this. I can't remember what episode it was, but it was like four stages or four different types of mothering motherhood Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think it was in the daddy crimes episode yeah she's in whatever category is most fucked up yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but you know what i'm saying we're like refusing to get your child help yep because you're the only one that can help them oh Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no, you, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. It yeah. really feels a lot like Munchausen, like a Munchausen adjacent yeah. situation. I mean, just like at the very least, some sort of imbalance of like the ego on her part. Right. Mm-hmm. So four it's months after the pushed into oncoming traffic attempted murder incident, Tony did finally kill Barbara. He mm-hmm. stabbed her with a kitchen knife and it, it killed her almost instantly. Wow. After killing her, he called the police, who arrived right away to find Tony, who is now 25 years old, at the scene. And he was on the phone in another room ordering Chinese food. God bless him. When you're hungry, you're hungry. He wanted one (laughs) last meal, I guess. That is so gross. So That is exactly... If I were... If I killed someone... And I would you, also want Chinese. I want Chinese food right now. I'm going to order knew some they later were tonight. Now me, that you mention it, mm-hmm. I'd probably mm-hmm. be apprehensive about answering the phone, the door, because it's either the police or my Postmates order. Mm-hmm. But then, like, mm-hmm. risk it. Mm-hmm. I totally risk it. Mm-hmm. I want my Postmates. I mean, I. But there's also like a huge disconnect. Like I, I get oh, it. I get sure. what you're saying, but there's like something so psychotic about that whole yeah. thing. He just yeah. murdered somebody and now he's ordering oh, I'm food. I'm hungry. Yep. But this poor guy's brain has yeah. been 
completely just trampled by the people in his life. So nothing logical is going to be happening here. No. And I'm not necessarily blaming him as a Mm -mm. human because he's obviously so damaged, but like, but it's creepy as hell. That's eerie as fuck. Mm -hmm. All right. There's one more twist. Oh, Jesus. Tony confessed to the murder. I mean, he turned himself in basically called the cops on himself, finished his cream cheese wontons and then called the cops. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and he was institutionalized for almost eight years. So he didn't he didn't go to prison. He went to a institution. Which okay. is honestly, I think, yeah. a better fit. That boy needs help. Then at 33 years old, he was released. He immediately flew to New York City where he went to stay with his maternal grandmother, Nini. Oh God. Oh no. Oh, and Nini. Days, Nini. The, Nini's the back. back to the beginning. Uh-huh. Okay. And days later, he attacked her with a kitchen knife, stabbing her eight times and breaking several bones. What the fuck? Did she live? She survived. Oh! I mean, don't move back in. Don't move in with your mom's mom after your mom fucked you up that bad. Yeah, imagine how triggering. Yes, stay away from all of it. No, 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 no. But I think he had to be released into somebody's custody, I think. Ugh. And Tony was then arrested for attempted murder and jailed at Rikers Island, where, while awaiting trial, he died by suffocation. He suffocated himself in his cell with a plastic bag, bringing the tragic and twisted saga of the Bakeland family to an end. That's where your bags over the head thing came in. Mm-hmm. I know, but it was too dark, so I said it earlier. Well, my God. I'm make a joke you. of it at the end. This Great. is really fucked. There's definitely a movie about this. Super fucked up. So that's my case for mom crimes. Great. Wow. Back to plastics. (laughs) Amanda's like literally speechless. This episode, (laughs) none of this was what I expected. (laughs) And I really think we should tear a word from our sponsors. (laughs) Take, take. Take a break. (laughs) So I can pace around the room for two minutes and then we can finish this. Here we go. Okay. You know, the traditional guidance with fertility has been like, just wait and see. Roll the dice. Guess and check. Cool, 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 cool. (laughs) Just wait and see with one of the biggest decisions of your life. Uh Uh-huh. But now we have tools to help us plan and track everything in our lives, our finances, our steps, our careers, our school. So why is fertility still just wait and see? Yeah, no, that doesn't work for me. Uh Uh-uh. No. And Mm -mm. that is why Modern Fertility was created. It's the easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. You mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. I mean, we are living in the future, people. It is now. And traditional testing with your doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility only costs $159 to get the same information more conveniently. Amazing. Yeah. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash gals, G-A-L-S, you get $20 off your test. So it is even more affordable. And if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can use those dollars on Modern Fertility. It's great. You get insight into how many eggs you have, your hormone levels, and even more importantly, any reproductive red flags that you should be aware of. And this is really 
important information about your body. Yeah. Whether or not mm-hmm. you're planning to have kids or you're not really sure, uh, you know, what that's going to look like for you. It's important to just know about your body and your hormone levels and what your options yep. are. Um, and I also really like that these results go in depth into what every hormone means because if you're not a doctor, it can be a little bit confusing. Mm-hmm. But with Modern Fertility, you can talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. It's so simple. It gets you all the info you need. It's the best. If you want kids today or just maybe one day or you just want to know more about your own body, you need information to make the decision that is best for you. You sure do. So right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash gals, G-A-L-S. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. So get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash gals. One more time, modernfertility.com slash gals. Treat your knowledge. Treat it. Treat it. So you know I love a story of a mom with a secret. Oh, secretive man. Secretive. <laughs> and I also wanted to go in a slightly different direction with this one. I assumed this was going to be uh, kind of a child abuse heavy ep- episode. Did not mm. see Kenyon's case coming. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see that level. Nope. So I'm glad I went with this one, but it's also, it's not like it's, it's not lighthearted or funny. So here we go. Great. So today I will regale you with the tale of Ethel Rosenberg. Oh, Ethel was born in the Lower East Side of Manhattan on September 28th. I don't think you know this case. I think you might think you know this case, but I don't think you know this case. Is this not the Ethel Rosenberg? Well, which Ethel Rosenberg are you talking about? The spy? Of the Rosenbergs? Oh, then yes, it is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's only two Rosenbergs, but yes. So Ethel was born in the lower... Kenyon got it. Yeah. We'll we'll see if this tracks with what you were thinking. It Um, does. Lower East Side of Manhattan on September 28th, 1915, which is almost my birthday and only two years before Helen was born. Um, She was the (laughs) oldest child of Barney and Tessie Greenglass. And her father, who was an immigrant from Russia, also had a son from an earlier marriage. So the family all crowded together in a tenement apartment and later grew to include two brothers, Bernard and David. She was a wonderful student and a theater kid, girl after my own heart. Mm-hmm. And after graduating from uh, Seward Park High School in 1930, she quickly found work at the National New York Packing and Shipping Company. I work made... here now. I love packing <laughs> and shipping so much. <laughs> and it's the, it's. I just love New York packing and shipping products. <laughs> I just love World War torn New York City so much. I work here now. <laughs> um, and she made many friends. And expanded her expanded her worldview both socially and politically. <laughs> so the budding activist met the man who would become her husband while at a union rally, a man named Julius Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. They quickly discovered that they had aligning values that were considered communist, and these views quickly are grew quickly and dangerously as the Cold War progressed in the late 30s. 
So it wasn't long ago that the country was obviously in the middle of the Cold War paranoia and any political conversations leaning toward communism in any way, anyway, Mm -hmm. or like communist sympathizing could be met (laughs) with swift punishment and even death. Yeah, this was like pre-Cold War hysteria, socialist, Bolshevik. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hysteria, fears. Well, it's yeah. like pre World War Two. It was like way it was before. Post- I Russian mean, it wasn't Revolution. way before because this is the late '30s. They get married in the '40s and they go to trial in the early '50s. But it's like very much during that time in American history, right? But right. I think which like, is the Cold War was it sure starts after World War Two. But this mm-hmm. there were already these fears of socialism yep. and, and communism. Which were being stoked by uh-huh. ever since and yeah. all that. Yeah. Uh-huh. The Russian and Revolution. And it was pretty brutal in some cases. Mm-hmm. So this couple wed in 1939 and had two sons, Michael in 1943 and Robert in 1947. And they had two sons, Michael, born in 1943. <laughs> Correct. Michael and 1943. The two, they're two <laughs> bouncing baby boys. And a third son, the symbol formerly known as Prince. (laughs) So they balanced the raising of their family with their social and economic activism within the working class. But as the Cold War surged on and 1950 approached, Ethel and Julius came under the watchful eye of the government. Around this time, Julius was in conversations with Ethel's younger brother, David Greenglass, and allegedly began feeding David information that was then being passed to the Soviets through connections that the family still had in Russia. So Julius kind of planted this seed, and the seed began to grow between him and Mm -hmm. David. And Mm -hmm. David was a perfect mule for the passing of information back and forth because he had enrolled in the United States Army and was specifically assigned to work on the Manhattan Project on a base in New Mexico. Whoa. He had some access to some shit. He was a machinist working on the A-bomb. Damn. So he was right there. So just a quick and dirty history refresher from History.com. The Manhattan Project was the code name for the American-led effort to develop a functional atomic weapon during World War II. The controversial creation and eventual use of the atomic bomb engaged some of the world's leading scientific minds, as well as the U.S. military. And most of the work was done in Los Alamos, New Mexico, which is where David Green Greenglass was based. Mm-hmm. and not in the borough of New York City, for which it was originally named. The Manhattan Project was started in response to fears that German scientists had been working on a weapon using nuclear technology since the 1930s, and that Adolf Hitler was prepared to use it. So it was like, we were in all these weird races anyway at this mm-hmm. time, in terms of like mm-hmm. weaponry, technology, yeah. and intelligence. It was a weird time. Right. It was just, everybody was on edge. And Russia mm-hmm. switched sides during mm-hmm. World War II. Yeah. They started as an Axis power or ally and then switch. So it's hard for me to follow exactly like political turns during this Mm -hmm. time because everybody is so like wishy-washy and then we have a war here and then like a Mm -hmm. not technically a war, but like definitely a war on Mm -hmm. the side. And Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it was an odd time to be alive. Couldn't even keep my damn tiara. (laughs) (laughs) So while David was involved in this project, he would disclose top secret information about its progress and development to Julius and allegedly Ethel. Ethel, as far as we knew at the time, using her skill set as a working woman, would then type the notes that were to be delivered to the Soviets through the Greenberg's channels. Or, not Greenberg's, Green Glasses. Mm -hmm. My autocorrect is the worst. Mm -hmm. 
So this system did not last long without being detected, however. As it turns out, David was not the only one sneaking info out of the Manhattan Project location in Los Alamos, New Mexico, where he was stationed. Another participant in the Manhattan Project was a man named Klaus Fuchs. Klaus Fuchs. Oh, he fucks. Zero fucks. Oh, he fucks. He fucks. Klaus Fuchs. <laughs> a British physicist who was born in Germany. Klaus and David were working independently of each other, but they shared the same connection who was delivering their information to the Soviets, a man named Harry Gold. So the FBI had had their eye on Harry Gold, Carrie Gold Butter, for some time. <gasps> the best and butter. It's the best butter. It's my favorite butter. <laughs> and finally caught him in the act in May of 1950. Gold immediately pointed the finger at the lower level operative, David Greenglass. Mm-hmm. So with this information, Julius, David, and another accomplice, who we'll get to, and Ethel were all charged with conspiracy to commit espionage in 1950. So in all honesty, other than being told that Ethel was typing the messages, there was no evidence that actually linked Ethel's involvement in any of this to this group of people other than the fact that she was Julius's husband and David said she was typing up these messages, right? Mm-hmm. So many critics of this case to this day, and we will get to it, believe that Ethel was used as a bargaining chip mm-hmm. to get Julius to confess to more spy-level shit because Julius was definitely doing some shit. And so they thought that if they implicated Ethel, Julius would be He'd like, no, 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 over. not her, but yep. I did this, this, this. Yep. But if that was the government's angle, it did not work because the couple refused to rat on each other and staunchly maintained their innocence. David, however, won the shitty brother award when the case went to trial in 1951. In exchange for a lighter sentence, which consisted of 10 years behind bars and his wife Ruth left completely out of the whole thing, Mm -hmm. he threw them under the bus. And even though he was the fucking one working on the A-bomb and sneaking that intel out of the U.S. Army, like for fuck's Mm -hmm. sake, he just put the fall on Julius and Ethel. And And he only got 10 years behind bars for that. 10 years behind bars, that's it. I know. That's really light. So... In order to get the deal, like, of this much more lenient sentence, he testified against Julius and Ethel at their trial in 1951. And this trial was set up to put these folks away from the start. Yeah. With the judge himself opening proceedings with the line, quote, The evidence will show that the loyalty and alliance of the Rosenbergs and Sobel, so Sobel is the third accomplice, Mm -hmm. were not to our country, but that it was to communism. Oh, so a nice impartial judge from the beginning. Exactly. Oh, he gets so much worse. But also like, oh, communism. Ugh. I just, I can't. I I can't understand. Like, there's something, there's, like, a Soviet uh, allegiance aspect, but then just, like, I don't know. I feel like communism was just thrown the fuck around so much during this time. I mean, it's definitely gotten a reputation as being, like, a fear-mongering buzzword. Communism is not good. Like, if you look at the structure of it, it it often does not go well. No. But I feel like this got... In theory... Subject to so much, but like in a lot of human error. No, yeah. And it got overhyped stateside and people died because of it. Yeah. And and clearly we'll get to it. Yeah. (laughs) When 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 was Senator McCarthy doing doing shit? Like early fifties, wasn't it? Like this. It had to have been right around this time. Because it was like getting he was building up uh notoriety between the two world wars, right? 
And then didn't he come into more power? Late 40s through through the 1950s. Yeah. Okay. So this is that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, yeah, we're deep in this era. Yeah. (laughs) At the same time, like, spying for another country. Oh, it's bad. Is bad. I am not super. Bad. I am defending Ethel, and we'll get to it. I am not defending Julius, but Ethel what, didn't trans- do shit though. Did she she? did, but we'll, and we'll get to it. But I've always thought of them in the same breath, like they were, they were like a duo. They were a pair. They yeah, were the Americans. Want you to think that's not so much the situation. Um, yeah. But what what befell them was not an act of justice it was no yeah it was what befell Ethel yes. was not justice <laughs> exactly so david greenglass and harry gold's testimony so david the brother and harry the the mule the message mule their testimony was damning and it was the entire backbone of the case their mm-hmm. testimony was everything there was really mm-hmm. no other evidence in this case except mm-hmm. this So David claimed that Julius and Ethel had been working to recruit him starting in 1944 and that he reluctantly agreed. Harry alleged uh, alleged in court that he had met David in New Mexico in 1945. This part is like so ridiculous. And that David had approached him with the agreed upon password of I come from Julius (laughs) and confirmed confirmed his identity. I come from Orange Julius. Well, it's funny that you say that because then he had to confirm his identity with like an agreed upon item that he was told bring this item and like say this password and show this item. Right. So no, I wish, but close. So he confirmed his identity by presenting a cut off jello box top. No, which like was the agreed upon secret <laughs> item to bring to the meeting, and is like the most nineteen forties like post war shit ever. Me? Like oh I come God. from Julius, and here's my Jello <laughs> box top, my Orange box tops for kids. Julius. I wish. <laughs> yes. Now I want Chinese food and Jello. I do too. Let's make oh, this happen. We'll just so, get like orange chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Kind it's of basically both. Yeah. It's, it's got that jello granular, marinated like, chicken. chunky. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is at this at this meeting, Harry said he made a payment of five hundred dollars to David in exchange for secrets about the bomb. He also testified, David also testified, that Ethel transcribed his written notes and sketches. So he would take all these notes when he's working on the bomb, bring them to Julius. He said Ethel was typing them up and making them all neat and tidy giving them back, and then he was taking them to Harry Gold, and Harry Gold was getting them to the Soviets on on the Russian side. So before this testimony comes in, the state, like I said, had nothing on Ethel and likely would have just kind of ignored her. Maybe, like, given her a slap on the wrist and sent her home. It was all everybody just saying that Ethel participated. They didn't have any evidence that she did, She likely would have gone home to raise her two sons while her husband took the brunt of this punishment. But the prosecution jumped on that testimony and leaned into it super fucking hard. Quote, Prosecutor Irving H. Sapool leapt all over this account, dramatically telling the jury how she saw that at the type or sat at the typewriter and struck the keys blow by blow against her own country and the interests of the Soviets. So that's a quote from court. No. Dramatic. Chill. Okay, sir, your pants. Yeah. Sir, your sir, pants. your editorialization. <laughs> yeah, it's a little much. <laughs> so when she and her husband finally did take the stand, they denied all of the charges, but throughout most of the questioning, they pled the fifth. And this tactic, whether on the advice of their counsel or just 
their own decision-making was definitely a mistake to just plead the fifth on all these questions. Because they this essentially sent the message to the jury, like, we did it mm-hmm. by just yeah. staying silent. That's how the jury took it. And but unfortunately, that's supposed to, that's not supposed to be. I know happens. it's not supposed to be that way, but mm-hmm. when you have, when you're already in the midst of all of this communist fear from the Cold War, know, and then you I have a court proceeding opened by a judge that who's feeding sucks. into that with yeah. a prosecution that's feeding into that, I, I feel like and they they're were Jewish, right? So there's definitely some so. anti-Semitism. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just they had everything stacked against them at, in this situation. So whether or not they pled the fifth, I don't think would have made a huge difference, but it certainly did not help. Mm-hmm. So after a trial that lasted barely a month, the jury returned with a, with guilty verdicts for, for Julius and Edith and the third accomplice. Ethel. Oh, sorry. Ethel, yes. So the true shock, however, would come at sentencing. So the judge, who had made his position very fucking clear from the outset of the trial, mm-hmm. sentenced the, par- the parents to death, saying, quote, I consider your crimes worse than murder. Mm. Yeah, they so they were killed. Fucking roll, dude. God yeah. damn it! Seriously, they were executed because of this. I I know. And as for Sobel, <laughs> the third accomplice who was also found guilty, who did not have two young children at home, he got thirty years in prison and got to live. Just to play devil's advocate, and these these two, I mean, they did not receive a fair trial um, at all. They did not receive a fair trial. But, I mean, passing along information about the deadliest weapon that humanity had ever oh, yeah. created. No, no, no. To, You've made yeah. that clear, and I do not condone this. And like I said, Julius did this. And right. that dude, does, like, I don't, I don't necessarily think Julius didn't see the hand of justice. Mm-hmm. I'm only focusing on Ethel in this situation mm-hmm. because... I'm not, I'm, I, it's, I think she very well may have known what was going on, but mm-hmm. I don't think she was as involved. Maybe she did know. As she was but made for out fuck's to be. Sake. And I think she got kind of fucked over in oh, this situation. I think she super got fucked over. I mean, over. I kind of think, I kind of disagree. I kind of think like she knew that she was being involved in spying and she was, I mean, whether or not she was just typing up messages, she knew those were messages that were being sent. Well, like, I'm not fine. a proponent of the death penalty and don't think that these two should no. have been executed. So we can agree to disagree on that, I uh, guess. Yeah. But she, no, I, don't I don't think she got well, what she deserved in this scenario. 2020 retrospect, she should have left his ass and taken her children For somewhere sure. safer from this situation. Absolutely. I think that they both had... I just think that trying to defend her in this situation is kind of taking away her agency and it's kind of patronizing almost to be like, oh, well, she was a woman and all she was doing was like typing or whatever. When both of them had an ideology that they were following, we think that ideology was misguided. But I also haven't finished yet. Okay. And there is more information. (laughs) Okay. That guides my thought process on it. Yeah. Because if, yeah, if it's coming down to, oh, she was just a woman and she was just typing, sure, but that there's more to it than that. Okay. So he gets 30 years in prison, and this sentence sent many influential people around the country reeling. The fact that the two, that 
the Rosenbergs were sentenced to death with figures like Pope Pius XII and Albert fucking Einstein coming forward to like beg the state to at least stay their executions and allow them to just serve their sentences in prison instead. Mm -hmm. And their young children led by Michael, who was only 10 at the time and Robert only six, like marched, protested. There's photos on the drive of like all these people saying like, don't put them to death and hand delivered a letter to the white house in the hopes that Truman or Eisenhower would use their power to save his parents. But For every person who spoke out against the sentence, there was an equal number out for blood, praising the judge's ruling in an era where many did see communist ties as a crime equal to or worse than murder, which is where, that's where my division really sits. I don't, I don't believe in the death penalty either. And I think that there's responsibility there, but let me keep, let me keep going just for another minute before, then you can break it down as much as you want. Just let me get through this last paragraph. So the nation was truly split, but the legal appeals and famous figures were not enough. Ethel and Julius were executed in the electric chair at Sing Sing on June 19th, 1953. Their sons went to live with family friends and soon were adopted by them and given their names. And they still fight to this day for their parents. And in 2016, they did go to the White House um, to talk to President Obama before he left. Uh, quote, the brothers returned to the Northwest Gate of the White House with another letter and a petition with more than 40,000 signatures addressed to President Obama based on years of mounting evidence that their mother was not involved in the conspiracy, including the unsealing in 2015 of David Greenglass's grand jury testimony in which he made no mention of his sister. And the brothers are fighting for their mother to be posthumously exonerated. And as it turns out, in 1995, the NSA released a half-century old trove of decrypted Soviet messages from the Venona project, which provided clear evidence of Julius's espionage. So he absolutely was part of it, which again, didn't argue that from the beginning. But But also a lot of people did like a lot of people at the time thought that they were innocent. I I don't ever question that Julius did this shit. Right. I only question. But a lot of people did for a long time. Which is fair. Right. A lot of people for a long time thought that because their trial was such a travesty of justice, Mm -hmm. um, people thought that they they were actually both innocent. Mm -hmm. And And maybe because they were Jewish. You're right. Exactly. People were like. Of course, they'd be the scapegoats. But exactly, exactly. Clearly, so for, evidence does suggest at this point that he was involved. Right. Absolutely. Right. Again, didn't include Ethel. And a tell-all book published the same year held a confession from Ethel's, Ethel's brother, David, that he lied on the stand about her involvement to save himself and that his wife, Ruth, was actually the one who was typing the notes, not oh, Ethel at all. Well, then oh. that is fucked. Because so then that's Ruth- why I was like, don't defend this too much because I have more to get to. Let me have a salacious moment. <laughs> so in 2008, Sobel, the, the third accomplice who only got 30 years, also went on record to confess to his and Julius's involvement with the Soviets and that he insisted that Ethel was guilty only of being Julius's wife. So oh, that's even, very fucking sneaky of David and bullshit. Yep. And David's Ruth. a piece of shit really fucked his sister over. That's what I mean, like, worst brother award. He literally got his sister killed because he wanted to save his own fucking neck. And his his wife's wife's neck. neck. Yeah, but his wife... And that's some fucked up shit. Then, I mean, then Ruth was implicated in espionage and should have been tried. Mm -hmm. I also don't think that this is so intertwined that we might not ever know what actually happened because there's so much political weight Mm -hmm. on... The facts of this case. Oh, for sure. I mean, even Obama is like, I'm not touching this because yeah. when they when they went to him with this petition and like all of this support to exonerate Ethel, 
Obama declined. I don't think anybody wants to touch any of this it's, and just like let it, it's done. I mean, think about a marriage and think about a relationship and like, I guess some marriages, you don't know what your spouse is doing, but in a good marriage, you, you should know what your spouse is doing and getting up to. And so you would be aware and you would know. This is also the yeah. early fifties. I have, I have mm. no way to know. None of us have any way to right. know That's, how much she knew. Right. There's literally no way to know. There's no way to know. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, regardless of what she knew, that David she said, got fucked in yeah. this situation hardcore. And her children and now, got fucked because yeah, they fucked. grew up without parents. Mm-hmm. And now all these years later, when these sentences have already been carried out and David's sentence has already been served, his measly sentence. Is he out? Is he alive? I don't know if he's alive now. But at least not in the late nineties, early aughts, he mm-hmm. was alive and making these confessions. Yeah. And it's like they can't go back and charge him again. It's done. Now he can just fucking I wonder say, when yeah, Ruth I, died. I shoved my my sister under a bus. I'm not sure, but Ethel got the short fucking end of the straw on this situation yeah. big it time. Was not not a, good. Not a good time to be Jewish. When Mm-mm. is it a good time? But also like Especially during the Cold War, having this high-profile electric chair execution, like it was totally, these two were held up as a were the horrible. swift hand of justice against espionage and communism. Oh like, yeah, they were made, they an, were, example they were an example of. Yes, mm-hmm. and that I think that's the real tragedy here is because normally, if you were to say like Ethel Rosenberg, people would be like, "Oh, that communist spy." It's like, mm-hmm. no, that's not how this went down at all. Right? It's just and, the, the, you know, her legacy is. Tragic, honestly. Yeah. I mean, and because we didn't actually get to the bottom of all of the details of what actually happened because the trial was so sensationalized and right. so clearly tilted. Right. We'll never really get a chance. And I, and again, I'm not coming in here defending like any of this shit because it's mm-hmm. fucked up and none mm-hmm. of this should have happened. But I am going to say I really don't know how much she actually knew. And they were definitely made an example of yeah. by the government. And killed at the hands of the state to send a message. Yeah. And yet and again, that's not justice. Whoever decides to just rat first right. gets the good Wins. deal. Yep. And it's like not David and Julius fair. were it's arguably not, the worst offenders in this situation. And yes, Julius was put to death, but fucking David should have been at the David gallows right there years. with us. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really fucked up about our system. It's so bullshit. It's like, oh, you you, you want to confess first and throw other people under the bus, even I also though that feel might like not it, be the actual truth. It creates these exact scenarios, though, too, where David's like, "Well, shit, this is serious shit. I could be killed. I'm gonna stick my neck out, and I'm gonna quote unquote confess first. But he fucking lied to save mm-hmm, himself. Mm-hmm. So that's not justice either, and that's not truth. Mm-hmm. And we've created a system that allows people to be like, well, every man for himself, I'm not going to fucking go down for this. Mm-hmm. And what you say on the stand just gets to be the foundation of this entire, of the majority of this case, at least against Ethel, not against Julius, but against yeah. Ethel. Right. And now here we fucking are 50 years later, like yeah. still getting new information that from sealed government documents. That's like, uh, it might not have really happened that way. Uh, and that oops. fucking suck. Yeah. Oh, I want to find oops. this Ruth. Now find I'm Ruth. on a mission. All right. So nice that's job. my case. Wow. <laughs> fucking yeah. Lot to unpack there. 
We went for it. What we a weird did. episode. Really weird. This was but a very manic episode. It was all over the place. <laughs> it was. But there all were right. twists, there were turns, there was mother loving, there was murder, there was espionage. There was motherfucking. <laughs> I didn't mother- want to say that. Well, but. big thank you to these motherfuckers. Thank you, Olivia <laughs> Windor. Oh, no. And, and her amazing mom, Ellen. And her motherfucking mom, Ellen. God bless her. No matter what, you didn't screw up your kids as much as any of the people in our cases. As far as we know. As far as we know. I mean, you must have done okay if Olivia... thrives in the shadows. Okay. (laughs) See you next week. Olivia dedicating an episode. You think it's okay. Jesus Christ. Blink twice if you need help. We love you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support and get a shout out on air, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers! Sometimes a case comes along that is so heinous, so shocking, that it's called the crime of the century. Truth is, though, there have been a lot of those cases over the years. I'm Amber Hunt, an award-winning journalist and author, with a new podcast that marries true crime with history. It's called Crimes of the Centuries from the Obsessed Network. I'm examining stories that left a mark. Some of them are first of their kind, like the country's first recorded murder trial or first kidnapping for ransom. Crimes of the Centuries will explore not just the crimes that were committed, but what was happening in the world at that time and what effects they had on society that we may still notice today. Subscribe to Crimes of the Centuries from the Obsessed Network on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your shows.